Welcome to Marquette Missionary Church. Here is today's message. New Year's Day of 1990. My grandmother, well, my mom received a call that her mother had died. And so we were all at home in Pelston, right below the bridge, not far from where Jake is from. Um, and I had just turned eight years old, and I was, I was sad. I was, I didn't know my grandmother that well because my grandparents lived in Indiana, but I still was sad when I heard that she had died. And so for the next several nights, I prayed to God that he would bring her to me. So every night I would go to the top of my stairs and I would look and see if God listened to my prayer and then he brought her here to my living room. Well, as I'm sure you guessed, he did not do that. He did not bring her to my living room. But I was an eight-year-old. And even though my grandparents are in Indiana and I was in Pelston, Michigan, the logistics didn't bother me whatsoever. I wanted God to bring her back to me. But the biggest question that humanity has ever faced, in my opinion, that they've craved an answer to, is what happens after we die. Because life on this earth, the physical life on this earth, is finite, it's limited. It's not guaranteed, it's not going to last on this earth and this body forever. And so every person... And every religion has had a thought, an answer to what happens after we die, whether maybe it's incarnation or some people would say that you just become a ghost and you wander the earth and you can encourage your loved ones. And then others just say that you die and that's it. There's nothing else. But in today's passage, well actually, if you look at 1 Thessalonians, Paul's very first letter, the they had asked Paul in Thessalonica, well, what happens? We have loved ones that have died. What happens to them? And even Paul addresses this in his very first letter. What happens after we die? But in today's passage, we're going to be looking at a, a great statement that Jesus gives us, and he directly addresses the issue of what happens after we die, and he brings us great hope in the process. And I do have these sheets in front of you in the pews. Um, there's a whole backside that you can use to fill in whatever you feel like. You can doodle. I would always draw maps, random things, and I was listening to sermons just to keep myself focused. So whatever you need to do, you have space in the back and some blanks in the front. Now since May, if you have seen me, whether on a YouTube video that was taken in Jeff's office or up front here at the podium, You've heard me speak on the I am statements of Jesus. Now, in the book of John, there are seven I am statements. And I covered them briefly. I would, I would never dare say that I... Well, actually, I touched on them briefly. I'd never say that I covered them. Because they're such a profound statement. It's each and every one of them that you could spend a lifetime studying them. So I'm just going to give a brief review of those first four that have been covered so far. Touched on, sorry. First, you have the bread of life, where Jesus said to the crowd, 
I am the bread of life. And who comes to me will never go hungry, will never be thirsty. This is in John 6, chapter 35. And then, he also said to a crowd, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John 8, 12. And then the last time I spoke, I actually covered two and one. First, Jesus said to the people there, I am the gate to the sheep pen. He used an analogy there. I am the gate to the pen where you can have protection, you can be cared for, you can be guided. I will protect you from the wolves, protect you from harm, but I am the only way into that pen. I am the gate. And then he said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep's voice, and they know my voice, and I will lay down my life for the sheep which we sang about this morning, which in fact he did. He laid down his life for the sheep. Today's passage is actually a departure, in a way, from his usual I am statements. This is found in John chapter 11, verses 17 through 27, which we will be reading shortly. And most of this story doesn't take place in front of a crowd. The first four, he was speaking to a crowd, whether there are Pharisees there or not. He was speaking to a group of people. Just after Jesus had talked about the sheep and being the good shepherd, he's with his disciples, and he receives news that his good friend Lazarus was very sick. He is the brother of Mary and Martha, who were also very good friends of his. Now, Jesus being Jesus, being both God and man, he knew what was going to happen with Lazarus. He knew that the events that were going to take place would bring glory to to the Father and to himself. And so he waited two days after receiving the news that Lazarus was sick to go to where Lazarus was. And this is where our story begins. Let's stand this morning as we read God's scripture. Again, this is John chapter 11, verses 17 through 27 from the NIV. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Let's pray. Lord, I am so thankful that we have the life of your Son to read, to reflect on, to learn from. 
And we can see how much love you had for us by sending him into the world to be the greatest example of love this world has ever seen. But this morning, I ask that you speak to everyone in this room. That wherever people are at, whatever they need to hear in this passage today, that you will speak to them. So I just ask you to bless us this morning as we look at what Jesus said. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And it says that a crowd from Jerusalem came to Bethany to support Martha and Mary. But when Jesus arrives there, Martha actually, if you look farther in the passage, she goes outside of town to meet him. So while Jesus had spoke the other I am statements to a crowd of people, this is mainly an exchange between Jesus and Martha. Now the disciples came along with him, but this doesn't make it clear if they went along to where Mary, to the house, or if they were here listening to what was going on between Jesus and Martha. But either way, this is mainly between Jesus and Martha. A one-on-one exchange. Now Martha... I can actually put myself in her shoes, and I can understand her being a little bit distraught. Her brother just died. Now, put yourself in this situation. If you had an extreme crisis going on, or a crisis that was about to come to a head, and you knew someone that could help you in that crisis, you say, hey, this is about to happen. Can you come here and help? Because you knew that they had the power to do so. And then, for whatever reason, they get there, and the crisis has already happened, I might be a little bit upset. Yet at the same time, look at the faith of Martha in verse 22. She had just said that had you been here, our brother would not have died. But then she says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So even in her distress, her brother just died. She still recognizes the power of Jesus in the ear that he has to God. And Mary, well, then Jesus replied that Lazarus would rise again. And Mary's reply was actually a reply that most religious Jews of that time would give. Now, all the Jews did not believe the same on the afterlife. A similar thing. Some Jews believed that you pretty much were just done after you died. Other Jews kind of believed in kind of a purgatory waiting period. But it was a scattered. They couldn't all agree. But one thing they agreed on, one was almost universal, and that's what Martha says in verse 24. I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. What she's saying is, all Jews of that time pretty much believed that there would be an eventual resurrection of those Jews that had died and they had belief, they'd be, they'd be raised from the dead. And she was pointing to this. She's like, well, my brother died, but he'll rise again at the last day. I think she was almost trying to comfort herself a little bit. But how does Jesus respond? His response is the main focus of today's message. I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. 
This is his fifth I am statement. Now, he fully acknowledges that a physical death occurs. He doesn't try to say some, something that our bodies will never die, that we, you know, we will never run out of breath, that our heart will never stop beating. He never says that. He fully says that our physical bodies, we will die. But then he tackles the question that mankind has always learned for an answer for, yearned for one, and he tackles it head on. Because he says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. Crystal clear, right? The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. I read that for the first time, and that seems a little bit confusing. I'm like, well, okay, how is that possible that I can live even though I die? He's referring to a spiritual life. That our soul, if we believe in him... Even though our physical body will perish like everyone's, our soul will not. We will have a spiritual life with him forever. But just in case that's not crystal clear, he adds on the next sentence. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Their soul will never perish. The word that, that is used for believes belief, believing, in the Greek, it probably says pretty much exactly what you think it would say. It says, a faith in something, whatever you are believing in, a faith in that, but with the expectation that action will occur because of that belief. In other words, if I believe in Jesus Christ, if I say I believe in him, my actions should show that I believe in him, that I have faith in him. My life will live out the fact that I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. This whole episode takes place during, I would consider, one of Jesus' most famous miracles. Again, we did not read the passage afterwards, but right after Jesus says his I am statement and asks the question to Martha, he then goes into town to where Mary is, And Mary and Martha are sisters. Mary responds the exact same way that Martha did when she saw Jesus. If you had been here, our brother would not have died. And I definitely recommend reading that passage because it shows the amazing depth of empathy that Jesus has with all of us. Jesus is the Son of God. He is fully God, but he is 100% human. And his empathy with us is 100%. He knows what's going to happen with Lazarus. He knows what he's about to do. And yet, his feelings for Lazarus, his closeness with Lazarus, and with the sisters, and the pain that they're going through, Jesus weeps for Lazarus. He weeps for the sisters which to me just shows that Jesus can absolutely 100% always will relate with our pain, empathize with us completely. But Jesus, even though he's extremely emotional, he has them roll the stone away. And 
and then he speaks to Lazarus, who has been dead for four days, and he says, hey, Lazarus, come out. And he comes out still wrapped in his linens from burial. Probably kind of starting to unravel as he walks out. I kind of get the picture of that 1920s or 30s black and white film of a mummy that comes out still wrapped up. As Katie pointed out, this is probably where they got the idea. But he was 100% alive. He wasn't just a reanimated corpse. Lazarus was alive. This is obviously a foreshadowing of what would Jesus would do on the cross. He would be dead. We sang about that. He would die on a cross. And we'd, so we'd see his death. We'd see his burial. And then we'd see the stone rolled away and an empty tomb. So it is no coincidence that Jesus utters this I am statement, I am the resurrection and the life, during this episode. Because of what he would accomplish at the cross. And as Troy prayed, where his death on the cross would make it possible for us to be reconciled with God again. Because he did that, because he died and then was raised from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit, he could say, I am the resurrection and the life. Even if Martha and other people might not have understood what was about to happen to him, he could fully claim with 100% truth that I am the resurrection and the life. He has been resurrected, and he still lives, and he reigns forever. I have two main points, and this is where you can stop drawing maps or doodling or whatever, and you can flip to the front side. Two main points to take away from this passage today. So because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, I won't worry about my soul. When I was trying to come up with points for this message, I was kind of hemming and hawing, what, how bold should I be? How confident should I be? At first I even wrote it, I don't have to worry about my soul. But I decided each and every one of us, myself included, should almost take this as a contract or a, or a commitment, a pledge that I'm making with God. Jesus, because I believe that you died on the cross for me, I won't worry about my soul. My soul's taken care of. If I live for Jesus, believe that he died on the cross for me, live my life for him, my soul is taken care of. I don't have to worry about it anymore. I don't have to wonder what is going to happen to me after I die. Therefore, number two, I will live boldly for Christ. So I won't worry about my soul, but I will live boldly for Christ. You go back before creation, kind of before Genesis 1. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit lived in perfect unity, in perfect harmony, in perfect relationship with each other. I mean, however you phrase that Trinity relationship, but yet God craved a relationship with his creation. He created us to have a relationship with him. 
He created us because he loved us to love him willfully, voluntarily to love him and have a relationship with him. But then he also, because he created us as relational beings, created us to love those around us, to love our neighbors, to love everyone we come in contact with. And the best way that we can love our neighbors is to show them the love of Christ. Show them the power of the cross. Show them the love that God has for his family if only they would just accept his love and decide to be part of his family. You're put on this earth to love others. The gift of Christ is an amazing gift. He didn't give it to me to be selfish and to hold on to it and say that, you know, this is awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with God forever. I, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to walk on this earth. But I'm, I, you know, this is me. It's, it's me and God. No, he created this gift so that we could spread it. On Christmas Day in 2015, my wife and I were in Menominee, and on Christmas Eve, we were playing games like always. My wife and I are huge game fanatics. But she was sitting on the couch, not playing games that night. She was having a hard time breathing. And she had, a, she had an inhaler in her, in her purse, but it was expired because she pretty much never used it. So... We went, to, we went to Walgreens or CVS. You couldn't get a prescription that fast. You just can't rush a prescription for inhalers. So they just grabbed an inhaler. That wasn't helping. It wasn't doing anything. So she was just sitting up in bed. She was going to actually sleep in the living room in a recliner so that she could breathe easier. So at about 11 o'clock, I go upstairs to bed by myself. And at about midnight... So midnight, Christmas day, midnight, my father-in-law comes in and he says, we're taking Katie to the hospital. And they run some tests. They take her pulse. They run an EKG. And the doctor comes in and says to her, you're having a heart attack. And so she's airlifted to Green Bay. And we're, my father-in-law and I drive down there. And we're waiting for several hours in the early morning of Christmas Finally, the doctor comes in. He sits down at the table, and he, and he talks to us, and he says, You're, Katie's not going to make it. She's not going to survive. And so then he leaves, because they're, they're busy trying to save her life. And so obviously, my father-in-law and I are a little, we're shaken, we're devastated. There's no one else in the waiting room, and I'm walking around the outside of the waiting room, and I start singing, Blessed be your name, especially the bridge where it sings, you give and take away, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. While I was devastated and my world had been rocked to its core, I had a 100% conviction that no matter what happened to my wife's physical body, her soul was taken care of because she trusted in the Lord and she walked with Christ. And while I wanted her selfishly to still be on this earth, and as you can see, she made a nearly full recovery and is with us today, I, I could give her to God because I knew where her soul was going. 
But by knowing that, then I had a, a living hope. And I still have a living hope in Jesus Christ. When Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, he then asked her, do you believe this? Just point blank asked her, do you believe what I just said? And I would hope that all of our answers in this room are what she answered. She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who's to come into the world. She didn't just respond to what Jesus had claimed about himself. He responded to the very truth of who Jesus was and who he claimed to be and why he came into the world. What's changed about this statement? Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He came into the world once and he will be coming back again. I could give my life, my wife's life to Christ, to, to God, because I knew where she was going. And I can live boldly because if I follow Christ, if my actions line up the fact that I say I believe in Christ, I know what's going to happen to me. But if you, if there's any of you here today that still don't know what to believe about this life, who to follow, how to live, or what happens after you die... I would be glad to talk with you. I know that Steve would probably be glad to talk to you. There are several people in this room, many people in this room, or maybe if someone brought you to church today, they might be willing to talk to you about this. But we have a living hope. As you can see, there's no body on that cross for a reason. We have a living hope in Jesus Christ. And our soul can find its rest in him. And it's because of the Father's love for us that he has sent his Son to die for us. So as I'm praying, I'm going to invite the worship team back up here again. We're going to sing how deep the Father's love for us one more time. Let's pray. Dear Lord, it is amazing that even though we're selfish. We make mistakes. We only care about ourselves sometimes. That you still want a relationship with us. That you still love us and crave for us to live with you. And you sent your son to accomplish that. That all we'd have to do is believe and live our lives for him. And so I thank you for that gift. And I thank you for sending your son. I just ask that you take our offer of worship again to you and that you bless us as we do so. And I ask all this in Jesus' name.